For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of the spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Let's pray as we begin this morning. Father, we thank you for this time of study that we have together. Father, we pray that you will guide our thoughts and guide even the intents of our heart. Lord, may they be stayed upon you. May we think clearly and distinctly upon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Father, may we rejoice in the text that's before us. Father, we realize and we are often confronted with this principle of the chastening hand of God. And in many ways, we misunderstand, we misapply. May we see that this is the joyous fruit that remains. It is the evidence that we are indeed the children of God and we stand justified before a holy, righteous, perfect Father. Lord, help us now as we study together. Lord, be with those that are away from us this morning. We pray that you would give them, uh, give them peace wherever they be, may be. And Lord, may you bring them back to us very soon. We thank you, we praise you, and it's in Christ's name I ask these things. Amen. If you'll notice with me verse number 11, there is a statement made there in the, the end, towards the end of that verse, verse 11 of Hebrews 12, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. The peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now, as we've studied these doctrines of justification and we've learned about the how, the why, the when, and the who, we need to kind of make a, another contrasting statement. Realize that there are denominations and there are churches that are teaching in justification that is not permanent or a justification that is conditional. Remember, we've learned that justification in Christ is not temporary, nor is it conditional. Uh, we know that uh, the doctrine of temporary justification, um, one of the denominations, religion, that that is very prevalent in is, is, is in Catholicism of temporary justification, that my legal standing before God might change, that I may be justified one day, but I may not be justified another, or many denominations that state and look at the reality that my justification is conditional. In other words, it is based upon solely upon what I do, not upon what Jesus Christ has done. 
Yet there's Bible scriptures that remind us that, especially in Romans 8, verses 33 through 39, which remind us and tell us that no one will ever be able to lay anything to the charge of those whom God has justified. We're told also that nothing can separate those who are in Christ from the love of God in Christ. We're told in passages such as John 3.16, John 5.24, John 10.28, and Romans 8.1 that true believers will never come unto condemnation, nor will they ever perish eternally. Yet, we even in Christ, by our own sins, we may fall under God's fatherly displeasure. We can displease the Father. We can displease him to the place where we are not living in the light of his countenance. We are not living in his presence continually. And we find ourselves unwilling to humble ourselves, unwilling to confess our sins, and unwilling to beg his forgiveness and have our faith renewed. That is a fact of the Christian life. Uh, Oftentimes we think this has never happened to us. We might even have that opinion this morning to say, look, ever since I've been in Christ, I've never had a moment where I was not living in the light of his countenance and I was not humble before him. I would say we've all been in that place where we've needed and quite frankly desired the chastening hand of God. What separates us from the conditional and the temporary false doctrines that are there is that the child of God actually longs for the chastening hand of God because we want God to chasten us and we want God to correct us. Uh, It is a very bold prayer to pray and ask God to correct you, to ask God to chasten you. Now, he's going to do it anyway, but to beg God, chasten me, this this is what is referred to as the peaceable fruit of righteousness. You see, chastening by God produces fruit in our life. Oftentimes, we want the good things that God gives us, and we don't think about praising God for his chastening hand. Now, he makes the comparison, the writer makes the comparison between earthly fathers and our heavenly father. And he indicates that even in verse 10, for verily or truly, for a few days, our earthly fathers chastened us, notice this, after their own pleasure. Uh, an example, every father in this room chastens their children differently. Uh, There is no universal right way to do it. If you've had children long enough, you realize that different children need different levels and (laughs) different types of chastening. If you haven't realized that, hold on, you will realize that. They are not all the same. You chasten them according to what their behaviors are. It will lead other children in that family to actually say, "Why why don't they get the same punishment that I get? Why don't you deal with them the same way? Yet he talks about that, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, the writer's not saying that earthly fathers' chastening is not profitable. But he is saying that the chastening of God, the chastening of the Father, is for our holiness, is in order that we would become more and more like him. Now, he, he acknowledges that no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. Just like a child, an earthly child, does not find the chastening hand of his father a joyous occasion, or he shouldn't anyway, nor are we going to find at the moment of God's chastening, we're not going to find it as a joyous thing. However, we're not worried about the present 
Look what he says. Actually, he says chastening in the present is grievous. Look, if you've been under the chastening hand of God, it is not a joyous time. Uh, it is not a, it's not the day of jubilation when it's happening. However, the chastening has an intended purpose. And that intended purpose, and I love the neverthelesses in the Bible, because often they separate these two thoughts, what seems to be a negative thought, and then this very positive thought. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth means it brings forth, it produces peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So what we see happening here is we do understand that it is possible and it is likely that at times in our life that we will displease the Father. So this is the ongoing fruit of our justification. It is, is it possible, question one this morning, is it possible for believers to lose their sense of God's fatherly love for them? And the answer is absolutely yes. What causes us to go astray from God is because we forget his fatherly love for us. That's the number one reason we backslide. That's the number one reason we try to flee away from God is because we have forgotten his fatherly love for us. There have been times in all of our lives, and I, I'm not getting into people's personal lives, but in our, in our human lives, no matter how your upbringing was with your, with your father, uh, there were times when your father was displeased with you. Uh, there were times when you lost sense of your father's love for you. And it makes us believe that what's happening to us is not fair or something is making us um, seemingly uh, agitated because we're being corrected. We're having this conversation yesterday. It's an amazing thing how many things my earthly father taught me that I'm not realizing until I'm almost 50 years old and I'm just now starting to get it. And these are things that I didn't know I was being taught, but I was being taught through the chastening of my father. So folks, there are things in our earthly life that our earthly fathers teach us that are for our profit. But the writer says there's something much bigger than this. The chastening of God is for our holiness. Our holiness is in order to glorify him. Without the chastening hand of God, it is impossible for you and I to continually glorify our Father which is in heaven. So it is not a badge of honor for you to say, I've never been chastened by God. As a matter of fact, I would say, I'm afraid of you. I'm afraid if you've never been chastened. Because I would begin to wonder if you fall into the category of, he says, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? If you've not been chastened by God, I have to ask you the question, are you even in Christ? Because he says, if, you're, if you are in Christ, you are going to be chastened. This is a reality. So it is possible for believers to lose their sense of God's fatherly love. But this is also a means in refuting uh, now, this is a big word, and, and if you want to know this word, it's okay. Uh, but it's, it's to refute uh, the antinomian. An antinomian is an individual or believers, Christians, who believe that they are released by grace from the obligation of observing the moral law. In other words, they say, I've been saved by grace. I'm no longer required to keep the moral law. Uh, that's false. Uh, we are, we've learned on Wednesday evenings, we're still required to keep the moral law. The moral law has never gone out. So we are still held to that accountability. So part of this chastening uh, is our loss of sense of God's fatherly love. But make this, it is not 
the loss of God's love for you. God didn't lose his love for you. Matter of fact, his love for you who are in Christ cannot increase any more than it is right now. He can't love you more and he cannot love you less. What you do does not make God love you more. What you do does not make God love you less. Can you displease the Father? Absolutely. Do we displease the Father? I would say weekly. I might even say daily. I might even say hourly. I might even say every few minutes. Because what we don't really understand is there are so many things in our life that are worthy of the chastening hand of God. Now, there are seasons where God's chastening is more intense than other times. Uh, There are times when it's just a, it is what appears to be just a casual chastening, where you're just reminded of God's love. You're reminded of God's goodness. But because God continues to to forgive, a true believer can never lose their salvation. Even if I don't, even if I lose my sense of God's fatherly love for me, I cannot lose my salvation. Now, I can be far away from God. Now, again, be careful of labeling who is what. Be careful of saying this person's just far away from God. That person might not be in Christ. Be very careful. Because here's the assurance that you have. If a child of God is displeasing the Father, that person will fall under the chastening hand of God, and God will restore and bring that person through his chastening hand. Now, that fruit may not be produced right away. Notice he says afterward. You know, one of the, one of the big lessons I've continued to learn in life is there's a lot of afterward moments with God. There's a lot of things that I thought in the moment, God's going to do something right now. God's going to break through. God's going to bring that person to repentance. God's going to correct this wrong. And no, it's afterward. It's after a period of time where God is doing his work. He is chastening. So we do know a couple things. We know that we can lose our sense of God's fatherly love. We realize that God does continue to forgive. A true believer cannot lose his salvation. But nevertheless, we do need to understand that our sins displease God. There are consequences. Uh, In sin... When we lose that sense of God's love for us, we find ourselves in a place, like the writer writes about here, where he says that this chastening is grievous. But nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. All of the fruits of righteousness are peaceable. I want you to ponder that for a minute. When we talk about fruits of righteousness, they're peaceable fruits. This is not just by happenstance that the word peace is there before the fruit of righteousness. We understand that this chasing of God brings fruit. Peaceable fruit is a reference to bringing us back to a proper place where I'm supposed to be. What I love, one of the many things I love about God and the way he works is God always brings his people back to the proper place of where they're supposed to be. Even though we get all out of sorts, even though we get far away from him, the chastening hand of God is there. Now, what you should not be thinking this morning is saying, well, this sounds great because I'm going to just go ahead and take my leave for a while because I know I'm going to run into the hills of sin because God will bring me back. If that's your attitude, 
there's something wrong with your faith today. Your faith is severely defective. If this is making you think, this is the antinomian principle that says, listen, I'm saved by grace. Can I'm saved by grace? That means I can do whatever I want. And if I do something wrong, then yeah, God will bring me back. That's not the, that is not the peaceable fruit of righteousness. The peaceable fruit of righteousness says, listen, I don't want to do anything to displease the Father. I don't want to displease God even in the simplest of things. And yet, we do know that this chastening yields fruit. And again, fatherly displeasure does not mean that his love is less. God's love never changes. Imagine a love that never changes in human relationships. It doesn't exist. Now, every parent will say, every parent will say that I love my kids equally, the same, all the time. Now, in the big picture, you might, but there are times you don't like them. There are times when we don't like what they're doing. We don't like the attitudes. We don't like many things. But we got to remember to not put God in this box where we say that God responds like we as parents do. I have a hundred things I wish I would have done differently as a father when my children were young. I have hundreds of things I wish I would have done different, handled different, responded different. But I realize that God, God doesn't make those mistakes where he looks back on our life and says, you know what, I really should have corrected you better in that matter. I should have done something different. He's already doing it perfectly. And he's doing it in the sense that there's nothing we, there's nothing we could do and there's nothing he could do that would change his love for us. Now, you'll notice in the confession, the paragraph five, and I saved this until after we kind of gave this context. Notice it says that God continues to forgive the sins of those that are justified. Now, it's important to realize that God continues to forgive the sins of those that are justified. This does not mean God continues to forgive the sins of the whole world. He says, those that are justified. And although they can never fall from the state of justification, yet they may, by their sins, fall under God's fatherly displeasure. Now, this is lining up exactly with what we just read in Hebrews 12. These are the same words or the same thoughts, the, the enduring of the chastening, the, the Lord chastening those he loves, those who are in Christ will be chastened. It is inappropriate for a non-believer to call God their father. Now, that's, that's a controversial statement I just made, but that's the truth. You cannot call one that you do not know father. He is not the father of every individual. If that individual is not in Christ, you cannot say, that is my heavenly father. When we, when we pray to our heavenly father, that is a, that is a declaration of, of a majestic title. Thinking about that this mighty God, this perfectly just, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, allows us to call him Father. Now, I know there's been a movement in contemporary Christianity to try to lessen the word Father, and, and we try to use silly things like calling him our daddy. That's foolishness. It's foolishness. They said, well, it just gives, it gives us the sense that God is just understanding and he knows what we're dealing with. Listen, Father is perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. 
Now, I might call my earthly father daddy. I may call him pops. I may call him a lot of things. But I don't address Almighty God that way. There's an irreverence about it. Now, my father had a sense of what I was allowed to call him too. He wasn't a mean man. <laughs> Many times, and I still would argue with anybody, he's the greatest man I knew, earthly speaking. But there were certain things I could say to him that were appropriate and certain things I couldn't say to him, even if it was done just in jest. There was just a respect there. And we respect our earthly fathers. We love our earthly fathers. But folks, we're talking about a reverential awe of Almighty God. This is not something we take lightly. The fact that God even has any concern for our well-being, Almighty God who created the universe, and he cares enough to chasten us, to bring us back unto himself instead of just casting us out where we deserve to be, I think that's a God who's worthy of our praise and worthy of our reverence. I think that's the big issue we have with a lot of our Christians and a lot of churches is we have forgotten who God is. And God has just become some casual relationship we have. But understand what God is doing through the chastening hand. Notice again what it says there in, your, in the paragraph. It says, and in that condition, this tells us that in a condition where we're in our sins and we have fallen under God's displeasure, it's a condition. It's a condition to where our, our relationship with him has not ended, but it isn't as it should be. I love the way that the confession writers use it. And in that condition, they have not usually the light of his countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves. That's, what, that's part of the chasing that God is after is our humility. And again, humility and pride is one of those most dangerous things to detect in our life because nobody wants to admit it's a problem. Nobody wants to say, you know what, I am a prideful, arrogant, self-centered, conceited individual. It's one of the hardest things you have to admit. But yet, when life comes at us, oftentimes it is about us. It's about what we need and what we want instead of glorifying God. Many people who find themselves away from God find themselves away from God because they have forgotten God's love for them. And they somehow have forgotten the love of the Father that drew them unto himself. Remember when we talked about effectual calling, we talked about how no one comes to the Father but by Christ, and no man comes except the drawing of the Father. You realize the Father drew you to himself. You did not go seeking him. This whole idea today to say, listen, when you talk to people about their faith and they say, oh, I'm just a seeker. You're not a seeker. There's none righteous, no, not one. You're not seeking after God. You're seeking after self-pleasure and whatever can bring you the most happiness in this world. It is God who draws you unto himself. The only reason you have the ability to say this morning that I can call you Heavenly Father is because he drew you. How do we forget that? Yet that's what leads to the chastening. We forget God's love. Our sin becomes more important than living in the light of his countenance. Notice it says they humble themselves, confess their sins. Repentance. Repentance is not a one-time deal and you're done. Repentance is continual. Beg pardon. 
You know, we become very casual in our repentance. God, forgive me of my sins. Amen. Think about pleading with God, even though you know you can't lose your salvation. Our sin ought to so displease us that we displease the Father that we're begging God, please forgive me of this because I have gone against your will for me. Casual repentance. Casual forgiveness. Well, what happens? What's this peaceful fruit of righteousness? Well, it's the renewing of faith and repentance. We're brought back to a place where we understand God's fatherly love for us once again. Now, there's a number of different passages that are mentioned there. We're not going to cover all those today. I would encourage you to read through those. You've got Matthew 6, 12 and 1 John 1, 7, John 10, 28. I do want us to go to Psalm 89, verses 31 through 33. This is just one of the examples of one of these verses and verses that are being mentioned with regard to this particular paragraph. Psalm 89, verses 31 through 33 Actually, let's, let's start in verse 27 because this, this helps us. Also, I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever as his, and his throne as the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments... Then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Now, there are some principles here. If, my, if his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgment, okay, there's an expectation that we are to walk according to God's commandments. If they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgressions. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a level of fear to that statement But there's also the reality of the love God must have for his people, that he visits us because of our transgressions. The rod sounds negative. As a matter of fact, people say, I don't want to talk about the God that has to use a rod. I don't want to talk about the God who has to deal with my sins with stripes. I don't like that. That's evidence that you're loved by the Father. You see, we tend to make a negative spin on anything that sounds contrary to what we think is right. This is a sign of God's covenant, but it's also a sign of God's love for us. Because notice he says, here's that word again, nevertheless. He says there's going to be a rod and there's going to be stripes because of your iniquity, because you broke my statutes, because you broke my commandments. Notice it doesn't say because God did something wrong. It's because you did this. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. Do do we realize today what it means to have the God of all creation say that my loving kindness I will not take from him and my faithfulness is never going to fail? Folks, if I could read one one place in scripture where it says God's faithfulness is going to fail at any single time in human history, we would be in big, miserable trouble today. If God failed to be faithful a single time, he's never failed to be faithful. The rod and the stripes are not for our 
to, to make us worse or to make us better. It always makes me think when I read this passage of thinking about the rod and the stripes that Jesus Christ endured for my sin. With his stripes, we are healed, Isaiah 53 says. All my sheep have gone astray, everyone to his own way. Yet Jesus Christ endured the cross, endured the suffering, endured the wrath of the Father for something he was not guilty of. And he did that for you. He did that for his people. And then we get reminders of his loving kindness. He says again in verse 34 of Psalm 89, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Think about it in a very practical application. How many times have we altered what we said we would do? How many times have you made a promise to someone only to break it within hours? His covenant, he says, I will never break the covenant that I've made with my people. There's nothing you can do to make me break my covenant with you. And you, and you say in our humanity, not really, nothing? That's what he says. Now, well, can we displease him? Absolutely. Are there consequences for displeasing him? Absolutely. What does it do afterward? It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. He, his seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. And we read a lot more than what the confession actually even mentions, but that, that gives us this wonderful picture of who God is. In Psalm 32, there's another statement that is made here. This is a Psalm of David. And David is praising God for the blessedness of having his transgression forgiven and his sin covered. Now notice how David repents. Psalm 32, verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. David's talking about silent from repenting. You see, the child of God who will not repent is miserable. Now, folks, I don't care what appearance they're giving you. An unrepentant believer is miserable, no matter how many smiles are across their face. No matter how much they want you to believe that they're happy, if they are in Christ, they're miserable because they cannot stand displeasing the Father. David says, for day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. David's talking about the chastening hand of God being heavy upon him. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. He had shed so many tears, he had nothing left. I don't know, medically speaking, if that's possible. I don't know. I'm not a physician. But that's what the picture is here. That his, the roaring within his bones and the, the moisture that was coming from his eyes was so prevalent, so long, that it just dried up. I acknowledged my sin. That's what the chasing hand of God does. We acknowledge our sin. 
God is not going to chasten you and say, let's come to some kind of an agreement of what part you'll acknowledge and then what part I'll overlook. I acknowledge my sin, David says, unto thee. By the way, your confession of your sin is not to your pastor, it's to Almighty God. Don't confess your sins to me looking for forgiveness. Now, if you want me to pray with you and you want me to know about it, that's one thing, but don't think your confession to me is helping you at all between your relationship between God and yourself. I don't have any more access to God than you do. I am not, I am not invited into a special corner of heaven and say, now this is reserved for all the shepherds and all the pastors over here and all your people. They kind of have to stand at a distance. You are as close to God as I am, and you're as close to God as you're choosing to be. And yet, David acknowledges, and mine iniquity have I not hid, nor could he. He couldn't hide it. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of, iniquity of my sin. What does David teach us here? When he confessed, God forgave. Folks, learn how that when you truly repent of your sins before God, believe what the Bible says, that God has forgiven your sin. And I don't know who I'm saying this for this morning, but some of you are living on sin that God forgave you from a long time ago, and you are beating yourself up about it. If you repented, if you acknowledged your sin, God has forgiven you for that. Stop living as if God is still holding a grudge. The Bible says God forgives us. If I truly repent, my repentance is because God was chastening me. He was correcting my behavior. He was bringing me so that I would yield this peaceable fruit of righteousness. And of course, Psalm 51, we won't turn there for sake of time this morning, but Psalm 51 is the classic passage of David talking about his, the sin with Bathsheba. And he uses words like, have mercy upon me. He reminds God of his own loving kindness, not because God needed to be reminded, but he says, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot my transgressions out, or blot out my transgressions. Wash me, he says, for I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only. I said we weren't turning there for sake of time, and I'm doing it anyway. Against thee, the only have I sinned. I, done, I have done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Remember, we studied this a few, few months ago. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. David goes on pleading with God. So what is the main point of paragraph 5 along with Hebrews 12? That God's fatherly displeasure with us is due to our sins. It's not due to a fault in God. It's not due to God being unnecessarily harsh with us. I worry about the believer that says God is too hard with me. I worry about the believer that says it's too hard to serve God. I worry about the believer that says, you know what? It's just too hard to live the Christian life in such a dark world. Folks, I worry about you because those are not the words that should be coming from the lips of people who know the fatherly love of God. Although we're justified, believers can still displease God. 
If someone comes to you and talks about the sin that they're living in, don't sugarcoat it by saying, you know what, God understands. Some of the worst Christian counseling today is just saying to a person, you know what, God understands. God understands the circumstances of why you sinned. Listen, if you're going to be honest with a brother or sister in Christ, you need to tell them that your sin displeases God. Now, I'm not telling you to talk to them with a holier-than-thou attitude and say, look, this would never happen to me. We know the results of that. But what you are saying is you are calling it what it is. It's like telling your brother or your sister, listen, what you've, done to the, what you've done to your father is wrong. You need to go make this right. Somehow our Christian counseling went off the rails somewhere. Where we said, let's just stroke everybody's ego and make them feel like a good Christian. It's just that's for another day, but be careful of what Christian counsel you even get. A plaque on the door that says Christian counseling doesn't mean it's biblical counseling. Biblical counseling is going to confront you right to the face and it's going to say, according to this, this says you're displeasing the Father. And praise God if he's gotten, if he's gotten out the chastening rod. Don't be telling people, hey, here's how you can make it better. with No, yield to his chastening. So how do we apply this if we haven't already? When believers are justified... They are counted as righteous in God's sight and perfectly acceptable to God through Christ. This is their legal standing. Remember, justification is a legal standing. It's not conditional. It's not temporary. It's a legal standing. In other words, that can never, ever be removed. My justification doesn't change. We ultimately know that I'll never lose that state of justification, nor will I ever lose my state of salvation. Because if I can lose my legal standing before God, I automatically lose my salvation. And we know that can't be true because the Bible is very clear about you cannot lose your salvation. But, application number two, we do know that believers can still and do sin. And they do incur God's fatherly displeasure. If you are displeasing God, you should expect discipline. Don't expect people to feel sorry for you because God's disciplining you. God's making my life so hard right now. Why is he doing that? Are you in sin? Well, yeah, but if I could just talk to God a little bit and I could make him, are you displeasing the Father? Praise God for the chastening rod because he's bringing you back to your proper place. That's what it's, it's what its intended purpose is. It's bringing you back. So when the chastening hand of God is upon his people, the restoration is the peaceable fruit of righteousness. When I have been restored, when, afterward, when the afterward moments comes, that is the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I'm brought back to being reminded yet again of God's love for me. Folks, the first thing a person who comes back from their wilderness, whether it's a backslidden, whatever it is, the first thing they remember is God's love for them. Almost to a person, when people have explained it to me, when, it's, when I've gone through this, I've gone through this. To be in sin and being under the discipline and chasing hand of God while trying to teach and counsel other people. I've been through this. And no, it's not pleasant. 
But you thank God because he brings you back and reminds you, now remember the love I have for you. Remember all the steps I did to bring you unto myself. Remember my son that I sent to pay your sin debt. He who knew no sin to become sin for you. Suddenly those things start flooding back and and all of this superficial Christianity doesn't matter anymore. You're reminded of God's love. And again, when you say God is a God of love, that means I agree with you, but if God is a God of love the way you want him to be, that means he's going to chasten you and you have to, you got a whole lot of undoing to do when you say, well, God would never judge his people. If he doesn't judge you, he doesn't love you. That's where we come back. So we understand here as we wrap this up that there's really two, um, two exhortations I'll leave us with. First of all, don't use the security of your standing and justification in Christ to lead you to treat sin lightly. Don't have the opinion that because I'm in Christ, sin can be taken lightly. And number two, that if we are in Christ, don't imagine that sin will not come without consequences because it will. I give you hope today by saying, God, your sin can never remove your justification. It can never, it cannot bar you access from the throne of God. But when you displease the Father, there are consequences and the chasing hand of God will be upon you. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Imagine being able to say, knowing that God cared enough for me to never let me go. You know, if God gave us the desires of our heart, truly, if we're honest with ourselves, every one of you in this room would run away from God and you wouldn't come back. Now, I know it's harsh to say, but we all think our spirituality would say, I would never run away from God. If God left you to himself, everyone in this room, including myself, would run. God's holding us here. He's the only hope I have today, folks. He's the only, he's the only, he is the only hope this world has. My hope in Christ is all I have. And when we're walking with him in some semblance of what should be right, it is joyous. Even when the night is the darkest. Folks, your joy in Christ over the last year and a half should not have changed one iota. Your joy should be the same. Circumstances are not what it is, but you also, maybe you've been through the chastening hand of God over the last year and a half too. And if that's happened, praise the Lord for it. Don't apologize for God bringing his people back to their proper place. So next week, we will conclude the chapter on justification. We'll look at paragraph six and we'll do a little bit of a a brief study of how the Old Testament justification, how the Old Testament saints and the New Testament uh, saints were justified. So if you want to read ahead, it's a very short paragraph. Uh, we'll, we'll deal probably primarily with the passage from Galatians 3. So if you want to read ahead and read Galatians 3, that's most likely what we'll be uh, looking at for our text next week. All right. All right. So for the sake of time, let's go ahead and pray. If there are any questions, I'll be here. You can come and ask me um, or you can save them for next week. Uh, but I want to kind of keep us on our schedule today. All right. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we are so grateful for the time we've had in your word this morning. 
And Lord, we know there are so many things we could say, so many more things we could rejoice in. But Lord, I pray that you would help us as believers to just take comfort in knowing that the chastening hand of God will be upon his children that displease him. Lord, may we not look at these things as a time of punishment, but look at it as a time of restoration. May we consider it a time when God reminds us of his love for us, a love that is unmerited, a love that we are not worthy to receive before or even after we're converted. We do not deserve the love of the Father. We do not deserve the love of the Son. We don't deserve the love of the Spirit, nor the indwelling of the Spirit. May we return all of our thanks and all the glory to what you have done. And Father, if we fall under the chastening hand of you, may we recognize it for what it is. Acknowledge and repent of our sins. Rejoice that our Father in heaven loves us. And may the joy of our salvation be restored. Lord, help us now as we prepare to worship together yet again. And Father, may you indeed be pleased and glorified in everything that is said and done. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake I do pray. Amen.